0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Pardes, North America. This episode of the Pardes Parsha Podcast features Rabbi Dr. Mish Hammer Kasoy and Rabbanit Nechama Goldman Barish on Parshat Vayechi. For the latest episode of the Parsha Podcast, please visit elmad.pardes.org. And now, Rabbi Dr. Mish Hammer Kasoy and Rabbanit Nechama Goldman Barish. Hi, I'm Nechama Goldman-Barish. I'm Mish Hammer Kasoy. what's the Parsha this week? Uh, this week's Parsha is Parsha at and cool. it's a pretty exciting Parsha. Wait, is that the last one in Bereshit? It's the last one in Bereshit. We're almost done.
1: Okay, tell me about it. What happens?
0: So there are really four scenes that I think are worth uh, summarizing before we go into the Parsha. The first one is a scene between Jacob and Joseph. Um, Jacob calls Joseph in as he's about to die and extracts from him a solemn oath that he will be buried in the land of Israel in the Ma'arat Machpelah, the cave of the patriarchs where his uh, father and grandfather are buried. That is followed by a scene. Wait, don't
1: forget. It. Why his father and grandfather? Isn't? Aren't there other people? Isn't his mother? In the- oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Of course, his uh, his mother is actually not buried there, but his father's wife Leah, the concubines Bilhah and Zilpa, his grandmother Rivka, his great grandmother Sarah, they're all buried in the cave.
1: Wow. So let's call it the cave of the ancestors.
0: Excellent suggestion. Let's bring back the women. Um, And so Jacob and Joseph then have this, you know, really final moment where Joseph um, asks his father for a blessing. He brings his two sons with the hope that his father will give them a blessing as well. At this point Jacob invokes God's covenant between his progeny and the land. He upgrades Ephraim and Manasseh uh, to two tribes within the children of Israel, and then oddly he acknowledges that Rachel was buried in Ephratah Derech Beit lechem and not in the cave of the Machpelah at all.
1: Well, that feels really relevant because he because Jacob making this big ask of Joseph. You know, like you have to take me all the way from Egypt to uh, to Hebron, but you didn't bother taking Rachel. You're my my mom just from Beit Lechem to Hebron. What's that about? So it feels like that's really essential there
0: in this last kind of scene between father and son. That yeah. acknowledgement. Interesting. Um, in the next scene, we have Jacob uh, blessing his 12 sons on his deathbed, and as he blesses the last son, he tucks his feet into the bed and he dies. In the third scene, we have the burial of Jacob accompanied by all of his sons and the pomp and circumstance that comes along with being the father of uh, the viceroy of Egypt. And in the final scene, we have Joseph alone with his brothers in the aftermath of his father's death, and really a very painful, poignant scene where his brothers throw themselves at the mercy of Joseph, thinking now he's going to take vengeance on uh, their sale of him so many years earlier. And Joseph responds with empathy and to some degree with pain that they're still holding guilt over that very long ago moment. Uh, That
1: feels... Gosh, thanks for that summary of the Parsha. I'd like to just think for a second about the end because I'm really interested in the way the brothers, this feels like a big idea to me. The brothers say, in, in all of the Joseph story and maybe in all of Genesis in general, is, is this the sense that you don't know what's turning, Careful what you wish for. You don't know what's turning out good and what's turning out bad. The sons, the, the brothers were trying to sell their brother into slavery. They for sure intended harm to Joseph, and and yet God turns it around as an instrument for savior for the entire Jewish people, in fact for the entire world. And what's ironic is that this moment, which they intended for they intended for bad, but God intended for good, and so Joseph forgives them. But then at the very end of the partial, the last thing Joseph says is. Pakod po, um, he says, sorry, let me find the first. Um uh, He knows that God that that we're in trouble. You know, it's like God, God intended for the good, but we actually have ourselves in a big pit because what's coming now is slavery, and we're sort of ending on Yosef is the viceroy, but it's it's gonna end up bad. And so we have this complex sense of we don't know what we're as whether we're getting something good or we're getting something bad everything has a good side and a bad side and it reminds me i like find myself thinking about prayer you know like we have the chutzpah to there's so much chutzpah in prayer the idea of like let me show up god and tell you what i need i need i need rain i need understanding i need health i need and I need a shidduch, I really want things to work out with this guy, and who says that I know which guy it should work out with, don't I trust God to figure it out better? And so you've got two things going on in this end of the parsha. on the one hand, things coming out good, on the other hand, God having a plan, and we don't really know where we are on the plot, depending on where you're looking, are you reading narrowly or broadly? Is it coming out well, or is it coming out poorly? and we don't have control, and we don't know.
0: So I think that really um, manifests itself well also in the blessings. Um, one of the things Leon Kass suggests in this end of uh, end of Brashid is that Joseph comes seeking preeminence, meaning he feels that given the trajectory in Safer Brashid, Jacob is sure to leave the covenant with one of the sons. He's the favorite. He's the chosen one, at least in his mind. He's the one who is the savior of the family. And he brings his two sons as a way of cementing that, right? I'm going to bring my sons and I'm going to get this blessing and be anointed. And uh this will solidify my, my role in the family. And really what happens is, uh, Jacob is, is Jacob at the beginning of the blessing and then kind of straightens up and becomes Yisrael, becomes Israel, and takes charge. And what he does is uh, he, he first acknowledges God and God's promise. Uh, he acknowledges that there, that his progeny will be fruitful and multiply and ultimately settle the land. And he then takes the two sons Ephraim and Manasseh as his own. And what he says to Jacob is, and now your two sons who were born into the land of Egypt before I came unto you in Egypt are mine, Ephraim and Manasseh, like Reuven and Shimon shall be mine, mine. And what we discover later on is that Yosef will not be one of the 12 tribes. His sons, to some degree, will replace him. So here Yosef comes trying to assure his own position by bringing his sons as the sign of his continuity. And, um, you know, the be careful what you wish for. Mm. Jacob says, (laughs) not so fast. You've really, and this really is Cass's idea, have become very Egyptianized and you're going to be you're going to be in Egypt and you represent uh, a culture and a land that will not be uh, will not be representative of, uh, of the world that will be in the future when God takes us out. And uh, but your sons will, your sons will continue my covenant. And so um, that must have been very painful. To recognize, he was on one hand getting what he wanted, but not in the way he wanted. And of course, Jacob doesn't choose one child to be gotcha. the preeminent child.
1: That works in there so well, but is so different than the way than the Midrash that I've been reading, which is sort of sees this as a big prize for Joseph. But you're like, but really, in some ways, it's also a punishment. It, we really have no idea whether things are what's for the best and what's for and things are. Complex. It's not a binary, I guess.
0: Right. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't use the word punishment, but maybe a consequence or that Joseph doesn't have the clarity of vision that Jacob, as he's approaching the end, Mm -hmm. has after years of, uh, living the complicated and difficult life he's led, his understanding of his children and his understanding of, uh, where perhaps the covenant is going to go in a way that Joseph, very much mired in his presence, does not, present, does not have.
1: Mm, that's so interesting. But there's something powerful about how even Jacob doesn't have that much vision. Yes. Like he's giving these blessings, but he has these moments also of crisis or of... Munov, his eyes were closed off, and he wasn't able to keep speaking. he wanted to share things he wasn't able to so I think
0: another excellent example by the way of this question you were talking about how do we look at an experience how do we look at a blessing an oracle a, what we think of perhaps as a prophecy really is is the interpretation of the one who receives the blessing, mm. and um, and I think in in the in the next scene where Jacob blesses his sons on his deathbed, he gives this really complicated blessing to Shimon and Levi, um, who who really although they're the second and third, um, have been you know criticized by Jacob for their violence and you know outrageous behavior in in wiping out the people of Shechem and what he says in uh, one of the last things he says to them is i will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel
1: and what happens? Wait, in, I think it starts like, "Cursed be their oh. anger, for it was fierce; and <laughs> yes. their wrath, for it was cruel." Yes, That's thank just like you. a reminder it's start, to all of right. us to
0: behave. Yeah. <laughs> Aurora Palm, very, very right. It starts mm-hmm. off with so much uh, strong emotion, strong negative emotion, and um, and yet, what happens? Because this question of do we have control? Don't we have control? Uh, is it preordained? I, I think that we have a lot of choice in the matter. And what we see happening to Shimon and Levi, I think, speaks to what I'm trying to say, which is that Shimon really does fall into obscurity. He will become swallowed up into the tribe of Judah. He really, for the most part, will disappear uh, in the period of the kings, whereas Levi will be scattered in a totally different way. Levi will be scattered because Levi becomes um, part of the leadership, part of the government, they will become the, the tribe of priests who will ally themselves with Moses and go out and wage a holy war in order to defend God's name and God's oneness in the aftermath of the golden calf. And so you can hear something that sounds like a curse and say, now I'm cursed and there's nothing I can do. Or you can say, no, I have the power to overcome that by taking that predisposition or that characteristic and turning it into something else. I have that of I have that ability to choose, and they're scattered around Israel because it's true they don't inherit, but they are the leaders wherever they are, and they represent God's Shekhinah, uh in the in the temple and and among the people, and they continue to bless us, you know, every right. day in the land of That's Israel, so every week.
1: Powerful. So one, they Shimon and Levi, if I understand you correctly, get the same blessing, but they yes. hear it differently mm-hmm. and then translate it into the world. One in sort of very tragic way, and the other in a really blessed way. Exactly so how you receive powerful. it, what you do with it, is up to you. Oh my gosh! Wow, I, that can, can I bring another example like yes, that? Yes, please. With the um, the thinking about in the I I I always feel so connected to Rachel and to Kevin Rachel in particular, mm, and yes. the. Um, it feels so tragic, and I see that. Look, the midrash that I I know, the midrash that I was referencing is different than the one that you were referencing, than the than the reading that Leon Cass had. But the, um, that Joseph was going was he was prepped and ready in the Psikta Rabati. He's prepped and ready and waiting to go in to Yaakov at the end of days, and he's got a few claims, and his claims are he wants, a ble- he wants the behor, he wants the blessing for his kids, and he wants to do something about his, where his mother is buried, and he's really sitting heavy with, my mother is, how could you have done that to my mother?
0: So what I love about that, Mish, is that um, the Midrash often astonishes me with a certain psychological insightness, right, insightfulness this awareness that Joseph is carrying the death of his mother very heavily on him. He was a very young man, young boy when his mother died. He sees his mother buried in kind of an isolated area away from the family. And he brings that to his father. Yes, we... Throughout our lives, we bring that baggage from our childhood, especially if there's a tragedy. So please continue on yeah. eager so, to hear what you oh have my, to say. So
1: he's feeling really bad. And it's clear that Jacob is also feeling really bad. He keeps apologizing like, oh, I did this bad thing. Rachel died on me. And what was I going to do? And I buried her in Beit Lechem. And it feels like there's all this guilt, both on the part of Joseph and on the part of Jacob around the burial. And yet... God, Jacob wants that Rashi raises this. You know, Joseph wants to move her to the Cave of the Ancestors to Machpelah, and and it can't happen because God has spoken, and it turns out you know, we find out later in Jeremiah. But uh, in in the Book of Jeremiah, we find out that Rachel had this that had I mean, her burial in that separate place had a tremendous. Destiny, if I can tell the story quickly. Mm-hmm. Please. Um, when the Jews in the book of Jeremiah, Jews are going out in the Babylonian exile and they're going past Rachel's grave. And at that time, the Jew, the The pain is so hard. The angels, first the angels are calling out to God, God, you've got to do something about this. And then Abraham is trying to beseech God on their account. And then Yitzchak and Yaakov, Moshe gets into the act. Everybody's in the act and begging God to avert this evil decree, which is so painful to the Jewish people and to the heroes of our tradition. And God says, stop. Stop this is this is the way it's going to be and they shamya and when they hear that they sat um, and cried and shamya shavnu at that moment when god says sorry that's the way it's going to be they sat and they started to cry and at the same time they're crying also, Kaftsar Rachel, she also jumps up and cries as they're like going out of the land of Israel. And she jumps up and cries and says, Oh my gosh, God, you're jealous about a little bit of Avodah Zarah? A little bit of idol worship? Do you know what I endured? Um- and for my to in terms of giving up my own personal jealousy and sharing my husband for the for the sake of my sister's honor it tried to care so much for my kids i how can you where do you get off god in behaving with jealousy and god starts to cry too and says, okay, I promise, Shavu banim ligvulam. I hear you. Mani kolech bechi. God says to Rachel, stop crying. I hear you. Um, so I, I think... Is, Shavu banim ligvulam. So well, hold on, let me just yeah, finish sure. and then I'll let you the, mm-hmm. the, That there's this sense that Rachel is, on the one hand, something bad happened to her, that she's bi- that she's being buried separate from everybody else and everyone hears it in this really really heavy way and it turns out that her crying actually turns out to be the redemption of the jewish people and that god has even planted her there so that she could do that to foil god's plan of exiling the jewish people which was god's plan
0: right Um, i love that and that that as the Jewish people are going into exile, Rachel is crying, and it's really a prayer, right? A, pain, a prayer of pain that God see the pain He has uh, unleashed on on His people, on on Rachel's descendants, and that elicits God's response, and that ties back to something you were saying about prayer. Meaning, you know, do we do we really have the audacity to pray? Prayer is connection. Prayer is um, is acknowledging that we're in relationship with God and the hope that God will hear and will see and will respond. And I think that so beautifully exemplifies that, right? That idea that Rachel's prayer of all the characters mentioned in the Midrash uh, that you cited, they're all masculine until you get to Rachel. Rachel's the only feminine and she's crying for her children, a mother heartbroken, crying over the pain of her children, the loss of her children. And, um, and that's what elicits God's compassion. And so uh, I think that speaks so well to uh, the, the relationship or the framework of, uh, of, of, what we hope to bring when we pray, which is something from within ourselves that will, that will, you know, kind of travel upward and will elicit a response to, from from God, but also from, from within ourselves. Um, I do want to take it or segue, if you will, to blessing, because here we are at the end of the Parsha and we've talked about um, Yaakov, the blessing of Yaakov to his children. And what's interesting is the bracha he gives to his grandchildren, Yisemech Elohim May God make you like Ephraim and Man-ashe. What's interesting there is Jacob saying that to Ephraim and Man-ashe. we're used to hearing it being said, it's how we bless our male children. But in that original version, that's the blessing that, um, that Jacob is giving to his grandsons. And I saw a beautiful idea in a women's commentary by Laura Geller, that essentially what Jacob is saying is Ephraim, may God help you become the best Ephraim you can be. May the godliness within you be elicited through this blessing and the same thing to Menashe. And then if we fill in the names of our own children as we give the bracha, then essentially that's the bracha we're giving to both our sons and our daughters. And our daughters we bless with, may God uh, bless you in the manner of Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. There's Rachel, who ends up becoming part and parcel of the blessing we give our daughters. Because although there are no daughters being blessed in our Parsha, we insist upon the blessing to our daughters. Maybe because Rachel has such a prominent voice for us as women in crying out and eliciting God's compassion. And I really just want to finish uh, with an idea by a former Pardes student, now a Maharat, Yael Keller, who is a community educator at Ann Arbor Orthodox Minyan, and she also works for Maharat. I found this citation of hers on Sfaria that I thought was very beautiful. On Friday night when I bless my children, in many ways I am simply the conduit for God's blessing. I try to allow the bracha to flow through my fingers and onto my children's upturned heads and hope that in performing my duty, God, in God's mercy, will bless my children. In the moment, I hope that my children and I feel the Hashra'at Hashchina, God's extending kindness. However, I believe there is an added reason for parents to convey this particular blessing to their children weekly. In this less formal context, we are able to blend the first type of bracha, sorry, the act of giving blessing creates connection. I want my children to know I share those hopes and visions of protection, kindness, and peace, and that together we may spend the week working in partnership with God to achieve them.
1: Oh, what a beautiful ending! Thank you so much for that, Nachama. Gosh, wait, this conversation was so rich. Can you just summarize for me in a couple of sentences what? what I can bring to my Shabbos table from
0: years? Well, I think what we can bring to the Shabbos table is that although we feel a lack of control, there is an element of control in the choices that we make and the consequences that are elicited from those choices. In addition, what we sometimes see as good might have a darker side to it, or what we see as darker bad might have a goodness to it. God knows. We don't always know what lies, uh, uh, you know, in the future. However, again, all we can do is try to live our lives with the godliness that we bless our children with, and hopefully that we feel blessed with as well. And finally, the power of blessing, the power mm-hmm. of blessing, in creating the connection between ourselves and the previous generations as we look onward to the future.
1: Wow, what a what a balance between bitachon, v'histadlus, trust in God, and uh, and and also full participation. God will take care of everything, we're not in control, and that's not gonna stop us from doing our damnedest to make sure it all comes out for the best. So may it be in the coming week. Shabbat Shalom Nechama. Shabbat Shalom Mish.
0: Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of Pardes North America. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Spotify for the latest episodes of the Pardes Parsha podcast.